Our message this morning comes from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Good morning. I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles, if you're not there already, to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pocket of the back of the chair that's in front of you, since we'll be covering the passage passage in a verse-by-verse fashion that would be helpful to have your Bibles open. And to follow along, I think you'll be able to follow better if you have your Bible open. Let's begin with prayer. Father, I pray this morning that we would approach your word with reverence, with a teachable spirit, with a humble heart, with a mind ready to receive the truth of your word, and a will that is eager to please you as we seek to obey the truth we hear. Father, we need the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to be our primary teacher this morning. Please help us, Father, as James instructs, to be doers of your word and not hearers only, so as not to deceive ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A story is told of a region in Africa where the first converts to Christianity were very diligent about praying. In fact, the believers had their own special outside the village area where they would go to pray in solitude. The villagers reached these prayer areas by using their own private footpaths through the brush. Over time, As believers regularly went out to their area of prayer, these footpaths really became dirt paths as the grass was trampled and worn away. However, when the grass began to grow over one of these paths, it was evident that the person to whom it belonged was not praying very much. Because these new Christians were concerned for each other's welfare, a unique custom sprang up when every... anyone noticed that there was grass growing on a prayer path, he or she would go to that person lovingly and warn, friend, there's grass in your path. So the question for us this morning, is there grass in your path? Are you diligently seeking out God 
in your times of prayer. From what we see in Scripture, it is likely there was no grass in the path of the Apostle Paul. He was a man who not only preached the gospel, but he was a man who was constantly in prayer, and we see this in this passage as well in Colossians 1. Now, what we have in Colossians 1, 9 through 14, is one of Paul's so-called prison prayers. When he was in prison, probably in Rome, um, the year would have been around 60 to 62 A.D., and these were two very difficult years for Paul in prison. Of course, no prison wall, no matter how thick or how tall, could prevent God from working through Paul's prayers in the lives of the Colossians. In fact, it might be said that God used Paul's praying in prison as much as he used Paul's preaching outside of prison. Two of these prison prayers are in the book of Ephesians, if you want to look at them at a later time in chapter 1 of Ephesians and chapter 3 of Ephesians. There's also one in the book of Philippians, and then there's this one here today in Colossians 1 that we'll be looking at. So it's a great way to learn about what Paul prayed for, how he prayed, and it is a real model for us to consider as we, can, as we think about our own prayer life. I believe people pray for who and what they care about. In verses 9 through 14 in Colossians 1, Paul displays a pastoral shepherd's heart by telling the church of Colossae, people he had apparently never met, I'm praying for you. In fact, I'm praying constantly for you. He deeply cares about the Colossians believers' spiritual growth, and we'll see how he prays for them in this passage. And maybe, as we look at his prayer life, maybe this will help to broaden out the things you pray for. Certainly praying for health or praying for job change or, you know, the more common daily things is good, but we'll see that Paul has a very broad scope in his prayer life, and maybe we can include that in ours as well. So let's begin drilling down in verse 9. We're going to spend some time in verse 9, and then we will continue on verse by verse. So let me read verse 9 again. And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So first, a couple of obvious observations, which are still worth pointing out. Paul profoundly believed that sustained prayer made a difference in the lives of those he prayed for. Now, that may seem obvious, but it's, it's worth saying, prayer makes a difference in the lives of the people we pray for. And he says that in verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. His mindset is not just one and done. He wants to constantly continue to pray for the believers that he's praying for. And we see this a little later in Colossians, 4, in Colossians, Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to, for us, may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, 
that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So in Colossians 4, we see Paul instruct believers to pray. Further, he desires to be prayed for. And in Colossians 1.9, he unceasingly prays for other believers. Paul is a man who practices what he preaches. He is utterly convinced that sustained prayer makes a difference in the lives of those he prays for. What about us? Um, Do we believe that, or do we just give lip service to that, but not really remain in sustained prayer for those around us? So moving on, also notice the we's in verse 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Who else is praying? Well, if you look in Colossians 4.12, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And what does Epaphras pray for, for the Colossians? Well, he, he prays that you, might stand, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras was a minister in the Colossians church, and he likely planted it. And you can see that in the Colossians 1.7. So we can see the crucial pl- place of prayer in Paul's life, in Epaphras' life, and it was an important part of their ministry as leaders in the church of God. So again, how about your prayer life this morning? Does your life manifest a passion for prayer? Are you truly convinced that prayer matters and that God will use it in your family, in your marriage, in that Sunday school class that you teach, in the lives of coworkers, in the lives of neighbors? Well, Paul certainly believed that. And I know for myself, I have a lot to learn about prayer. Um, Studying this passage was very convicting. And perhaps all of us this morning would echo the request of the disciple who asked Jesus in Luke 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Second, notice the motivation for Paul's prayer in verse 9. Why is Paul praying? Verse 9 says, and so, I think the NIV says it better, for this reason from the day we heard. So we need to look back and ask, what's the reason, Paul, that you're praying these things for the Colossians? Well, Paul is praying for the Colossians because of the good things he had heard about them that we looked at last week in chapter 1 that Brandon covered. And what are those things? Well, in verse 4, their faith. This is 1-4, their faith in Christ Jesus, their love for the saints. Again, in verse 4, their heavenly hope. Verse 5, their hearing and understanding of God's grace. Verse 6, again, their love in the Spirit. Verse 8. So Paul, in verse 9, is praying because he is so thankful for the spiritual growth that he sees in the life of the lives of the Colossians believers, and he wants God to continue that growth in their life. Paul's motivation here was convicting for me 
As I thought about my prayer life, I thought, you know, typically I pray because something's wrong. Or typically I pray because something bad is happening or someone, or it's happening in someone else's life. Or often I pray because things need to be fixed or changed. And of course, these kinds of circumstances are good things to pray for. However, it struck me that here, Paul was praying consistently for the positive things he saw in the life and the lives of the Colossians. Uh, So maybe that's something we can incorporate more into our prayer life when we see good things happening in our church, to pray for them, not to wait for your prayer time when something bad is happening, but pray that the positive spiritual growth that is happening would continue through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, So Paul was definitely focused on praying for the positive things he had heard. And I think that can help broaden our scope of prayer that we might get out of that rut and broaden out our prayer life a bit. Third, in verse 9, we see what Paul is specifically praying for. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. A couple of observations about the content of his prayer. Paul not only helps us know how to pray, but also we see what Paul believed were the essential traits of the normal Christian life that he was praying would continue in the lives of the Colossians and also in the lives of all believers that would follow. So Paul asked God that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of his will, filled with the knowledge of his will. The Greek word for filled here has to do with a quality or trait that characterizes a person. Next, Paul prays that they'd be filled with what? The knowledge of his will. Here, Paul is talking about God's revealed will or his preceptive will. And what is the primary way God's will is revealed to us? God's will is revealed to us primarily in the scriptures. Take, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. If someone asks you, well, what is the will of God? You can point them to this verse, these verses. And Paul says in in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, for this is the will of God. So there you got it. This is one of the aspects of the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. There you go. You know at least some of God's will for you. Also, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? It's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or another familiar verse, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is will help us to know God's will. As some, uh, one pastor I was reading said, in paraphrase, paraphrasing what Paul is saying here in verse 9, I do not cease to pray and to ask God that you will be gripped by the knowledge, the deep, thorough knowledge of the revealed will of God. And as someone else as well said, the better you know God's word, 
the better you will know God's will. Fourthly, and we're still in verse 9, Paul says not only to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but also spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, from the research I was doing for this sermon, it seems likely the phrases Paul uses in verse 9, specifically filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, are an allusion to some passages in Exodus. And uh, Dr. Greg Beal, in his Colossians commentary, was especially helpful for me in thinking about this. For example, in Exodus 31, 1 through 3, and I'm I'm going to read this passage from the NIV. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Also, Exodus 35, 30 through 31. Again, I'm going to read this passage from the NIV. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge, and all kinds of skills. And this was related to the building of the tabernacle. From these Old Testament texts that Paul apparently draws from in his prayer, you see three things. The Spirit of God, the filling of a person with the Spirit, and directly linking wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So I think the point of Paul's allusion, if that's correct, what Dr. Beale has uh, suggested, the point of Paul's allusion in Exodus is that he's praying that God would fill the Colossians and all subsequent believers with spiritual wisdom and understanding and knowledge as we would build obedient Christian lives in the same way that God filled Bezalel with the Spirit, having wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in the building of the temperance tabernacle. This would have been, this would have resonated with Paul's listeners, and I think it's uh, a pretty good uh, point he's making. So to recap, verse 9, sustained prayer makes a difference in the lives of those we pray for. A motivation for prayer is our desire to see continuous spiritual growth in fellow believers. Three, we are to seek the knowledge of God's will, which comes from God's word. And four, to live a Christian life that pleases God, we need spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit, and we'll see that more as we move on through this passage. So let's move on to verses 10 through 12. Let me read those. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now in verses 10 through 12, we discover Paul's purpose for praying for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God. Remember, he's praying for that. And in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. There are specific characteristics that Paul wants to develop in the day-to-day lives of believers. He uses the term walking as a synonym for living. You know, people walked a great deal in his day, and walking would be a great metaphor for him to talk about how we're to daily live as Christians. That would have resonated with them. So, in verse 10, there's two high-level characteristics you'll notice. Daily living in a manner worthy of the Lord and daily living in a way that pleases the Lord. Then Paul fleshes out some further details on what it looks like to please the Lord, which are as follows. Daily living in a way that bears fruit in every good work. Verse 10, daily living in a way that increases our knowledge of God. Verse 10, daily living according to God's power that results in endurance, patience, and joy. Verse 11, daily living with an attitude of gratitude for what God in his mercy has done for us. Verse 12, so Paul Praise that believers would not only know God's will, but would do it. As James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As one pastor I was reading put it, spiritual knowledge, wisdom, and understanding must lead to spiritual action. Understand this, that gaining spiritual knowledge is never an end in itself, but a means to accomplish a larger goal. The larger goal is to live for the glory of God. We need sound doctrine. We need good theology. But that is never the final destination. It's only the highway that gets us there. So let's take a look at the characteristics that Paul is praying, and I'll briefly comment on each one. First, he wants believers to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Again, the word walk has to do with behavior. The uh, basic meaning of the word is matching up. The believer who walks in a manner worthy of the Lord daily lives in a way that matches up with his or her verbal profession of faith. Our, our, outward, walk, our outward walk should reflect our inward convictions. To walk worthy means to live up to the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that Paul has focused on in verse 9 so as to live in, a such, in such a way that honors God. Paul's prayer for the Colossians and for us is to live lives consistent with who God is, what God has done for us, and what God has given us in Jesus Christ. So, praying for a worthy walk in our own lives and in the lives of believers around us is something we should add to our prayer list. Which leads us to the next characteristic that Paul prays for in verse 10. Daily living in a way that fully 
pleases God. Did you hear that? Daily living in a way that fully pleases God. How important is pleasing God, pleasing the Lord in your life this morning? Is the motivation of pleasing the Lord a significant part of how you think about any given day or how you think about your planning of life going into the future? Fully pleasing the Lord certainly was a priority for Paul. Uh, Consider 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 11a. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 11a. There he says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? To please him. Paul saw that as a priority, and he goes on to explain why in these verses. We make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So pleasing God was a high priority because Paul knew he would have to give an account for how he had lived his life. And that should be a motivation for us us as well. What's true of Paul here is true for each believer that is here today. Or consider 1 Thessalonians 4.1, finally then, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 4.1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us how to walk in a way to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul wanted the Thessalonians here, the Corinthians there, the Colossians in our passage today, to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And that's something for us to consider as well. So Paul says here in Colossians that when we pursue the knowledge of God's will, that pleases the Lord. As you make decisions in your life, it is important you search the scriptures. You pray and discern what would please the Lord as I'm trying to make this decision, what most glorifies him, And that's the path that you should take. So praying that we fully please God or please the Lord in our own lives and the lives of believers around us is something we should include on our prayer list. It was certainly on Paul's. Which leads us to the next characteristic that Paul prays for in verse 10. Daily living in a way that bears fruit in every good work. See, Paul is very specific about his prayer life. He's praying very specifically for the Colossians and, I think, for believers that would follow. Because of a desire to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, because of a desire to be fully pleasing to the Lord, Paul prays daily for daily living by Christians so that they would bear fruit in every good work. So you might think to yourself, Hmm, what are these good works that Paul might be praying for? I I don't know. Well, by way of example, I picked out 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10. 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10. And this has to do with a situation in the church there where 
uh, they were contemplating on how widows should be treated. So for our purpose, we'll just look at it as some examples of what good works look like in the mind of Paul. So 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good works, every good work. Now, this is certainly not an all-inclusive list, but it does give you the flavor of the kind of good works that Paul was thinking about in this particular situation. Also, James 2, 14 through 16. James 2, 14 through 16 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, so there's a need, an obvious need before the people that James is talking about. A brother or sister who doesn't have enough food and is poorly clothed. And then James goes on to say, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed. A lot of religious words. Go in peace, be warmed. Without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? See, that would be a good work, meeting the food need, meeting the clothing need. So these are the kind of bearing fruit in every good work. These are examples, but they should be something that we're praying for others around us and also praying for ourselves, that God would do that, bearing good fruit through us. So another thing to add to your prayer list for those around us, maybe it's there already, but maybe some of these things are things you really haven't prayed for lately for brothers and sisters in Christ. Add to your list that we would bear fruit in every good work, not only ourselves, but those that we are praying for. Which leads us to the next characteristic that Paul prays for at the end of verse 10. Man, he packs a lot into a verse, doesn't he? Daily living in a way that increases our knowledge of God. Paul's prayer is that the Colossians, and I believe all believers, would increase in their knowledge of God. How can we increase in our knowledge of God? Well, primary way, again, I would suggest, is knowing God through his word and through prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to give us increasing knowledge of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, familiar verse for many of you, says in part, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for what? teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. The scriptures will help us to increase our knowledge of God and what God wants us to do and how God wants us to live. We see the role of the Holy Spirit also in Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, he says, he prays, I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? The knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Isn't that the kind of knowledge about God that we need? But that's only going to come as God enlightens the eyes of our hearts, and that's primarily going to come through God's word. 1 John, I think, also helps us to understand if we are really coming to know the God of the Bible. The Apostle John connects obedience to God as evidence that we actually know God. Consider 1 John 2, 3 through 6, very sobering verses. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. There the Apostle John says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and by this, we know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. So we should be praying that God would increase the knowledge of, of him for the people we pray for, our, we pray for our families, as we pray for ourselves, add that to your prayer list that we would increase in the knowledge of God. See, Paul has all kinds of helpful things for you to be praying for and for me to be praying for. Now, the next areas that Paul prays for are in verse 11. Um, and these have to do with endurance, patience, and joy. So first, and then also God's power. I left that one out. So first, daily living in God's power. The Greek word for strengthened, beginning in verse 11, means to be divinely empowered or enabled to do the will of God. Paul knows that Christians cannot live out the will of God, that Christians cannot please God in their own strength in their own power. It's well been said that the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. <laughs> that is without God's glorious might, which he prays for in verse 11, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we're going to live a life pleasing to God. I can't describe the need of God's power any better than how Paul prays in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, there Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through the Spirit 
in your inner being. Did you catch that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. And all this comes from the Spirit's power working in us and through us. Secondly, in Colossians 1.11, Paul prays for daily living that exhibits what? Endurance, patience, and joy. Now, you might think to yourself, why is Paul praying for that now? These particular characteristics to be evident in the lives of believers. Well, the reality is that if we are increasingly walking in a manner, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, if we are increasingly trying to please the Lord, we will meet resistance. We will meet opposition. And we need endurance and patience and joy in order to live out the Christian life in the way that Paul is praying about. It can be a struggle because of the world system. It can be a struggle because of very specific persecution. Living out the Christian life is a struggle because of our own sin. Now, I want to go over, and I want you to turn here to Hebrews 10, 32 through 36, because we're going to spend a little bit of time here. But I think the writer of Hebrews helps us to understand why Paul might be praying for endurance and patience and joy and even thanksgiving, leads over into verse 12a. So um, Hebrews 10, 32 through 36, I'll read it, and then I'll make some observations about that text afterwards. So Hebrews 10, 32 through 36. But recall... The former days, when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, since you knew, listen to that, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So let's think about what the Hebrews writer here is writing to his listeners. We see in these verses that the Christian life, doing God's will, can involve struggle and suffering that requires endurance and patience and joy, the very thing that Paul is praying about in Colossians 1, verse 11. In fact, for the Christians in Hebrews, it appears that compassionate good works is what was bringing them the persecution. But these believers are able to joyfully accept the persecution. Why? Because they knew they had a better abiding possession, a promised eternal salvation. 
because of what they knew about God, it helped them to have the endurance and patience that they needed. So we see why Paul prays as he does in Colossians 1.11. Believers need the Holy Spirit's power to endure things, don't we? Patiently, um, joyfully, hopefully thankfully. In addition, I believe these verses in Hebrews 10, 32 through 36, help us to see why Paul in 111, Colossians 1.11 and 12a includes joy and thankfulness to the Father. In the same way that these believers joyfully accepted persecution, they did so because they knew what God had done for them. So let's go back to Colossians 1, 12 through 14, and we'll see what Paul especially prayed for in verses 12 through 14 of Colossians 1. So let me read those verses and make some observations. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we see in verses 12 through 14, Paul gives some reasons why the Colossians should be characterized by thanksgiving, joy, endurance, and patience. Note that all these truths are the work of God. It is his initiative, it is his plan, and it, it's his power that's going to bring these things to pass. So Paul says in verse 12 that we should give thanks because God has qualified us to share in the inheritance. How has God qualified us? Well, look at verse 14. Let's skip down to 14. In Christ, we have been redeemed and forgiven in order to share in the inheritance of the saints and enter into Christ's kingdom, our sins must be dealt with. What we need is to be delivered and rescued from the guilt and penalty and enslavement to sin. And if you're a believer here this morning, Colossians 1.13 says what God has done for you. He has delivered us, you, from the domain of darkness and transferred us, you, to the kingdom of his beloved son. So again, this redemption and forgiveness are how we are qualified for the inheritance, which is promised, the promise of eternal and abundant life in the kingdom of God's son, the kingdom of of light. A little later in Colossians, we'll see Colossians 2, 13 through 14, Paul writes, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all the trespass, all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. 
This is good news. This, in fact, is the most wonderful, glorious, stunning news that we could ever hear. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. Our debt that we could never pay has been paid and canceled, so we are no longer slaves to sin. God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and from the power of Satan. Amen to that. In light of what God has done, we cannot help but continuously, constantly, wholeheartedly be thankful for what God has done. And we should be a thankful people as the people of God. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then the implication of what the Apostle Paul says in verse 13 applies to you. You remain as an unbeliever in the domain of darkness because you have not been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. You have not been redeemed. You are still in your sin. So I invite you this morning, if you've never done this, to come to Christ by faith. Trust him as your Lord and Savior, and he will redeem you and forgive you of your sin and wrap you in his robes of righteousness because of what Christ has done for you. God says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. They, uh, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There is no greater invitation you could have this morning, but you must accept it. You must act on it. You must believe. If you've never put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you're here this morning, I pray that you would do that. And if you have questions about that, please come talk to me. Please talk to someone here before you would leave today. For those that are Christians here this morning, it would be good for us to evaluate our prayer life in light of how Paul prays and what he prays for here. So here's a summary from the text of what you heard this morning in these verses. First, church leaders should be praying for the body of Christ. Think of Paul, who didn't even, hadn't even met these Colossians believers, and Epaphras, who was a part of their daily ministry, he struggled in prayer over them and for them, as should we as church leaders, or as you as a Sunday school teacher, a leader of a life group. Are we praying in the way that Paul talks about here? Two, we should be praying for brothers and sisters in Christ when we see spiritual growth and fruit, we want those characteristics to continue. So it's okay, obviously, to pray for when someone's sick or when a job loss occurs. 
these very specific events are important to pray for. But perhaps we can broaden our prayers and we notice that Joe is growing spiritually and loves the word in a way he never did before. Father, would you help Joe to grow in his knowledge of the word, in his desire to bear fruit of good works? And I think that would be something that God would be pleased to answer in Joe's life. And three, pray for areas of your life and the lives of other believers that are related to spiritual growth that perhaps you hadn't thought of before. So let's just run through the laundry list of what Paul talked about, to be filled with the knowledge of God, to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, to daily live in a manner worthy of the Lord, to daily live in a way that pleases the Lord, to daily live in a way that bears fruit in every good work, to daily live in a way that increases in the knowledge of God, to daily live according to God's power that results in endurance and patience and joy, and finally, to daily live with an attitude of gratitude for what God has done in his mercy and grace by rescuing us, by delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us, instructs us, convicts us. And I do pray in my own life and in the lives of your people here this morning that you would encourage us to think about how we pray and what we pray about. And I pray that as the Holy Spirit works in our lives and continues to grow us and mature us, that we would pray more of the time like Paul prayed for the Colossians. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.